Let's pray together. Lord, we're here this morning, and we're just so thankful for this new life in you that you've given us so freely, for the chance to be a part of your mission and your kingdom. And Lord, we're so thankful for your spirit and for your word and for the wisdom that even today it can impart in our lives. We ask this morning that you speak into our hearts, that you reveal things to us, and that you draw us even closer to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we've been in a series in Matthew called That's What Jesus Said. We're talking about the teachings of Jesus and how we can apply those things to our lives today. In week one, we talked about happiness. What does true happiness look like? And we learned, not surprisingly, that it comes from a life founded in Christ. And so often these little pinch points, these little issues that we keep running into can be traced back to things that we're not giving over fully to God. Then last week we talked about being peacemakers. What does it look like to be people who resolve conflicts instead of leaning into them as people tend to do in this day and age? What does it look like to be merciful, to be loving and kind and live life differently than other people do? And a lot of what we've been learning is really culminating in what we're going to talk about today. Verses 13 through 16 of chapter 5, where Jesus talks about being salt and light. So before we get into anything, I love to kind of know the setting uh, whenever you're reading the Bible. So the story opens up. Jesus is sort of walking along with his disciples. He sees that a crowd is following him. It says it's a great multitude from many different places. And Jesus goes up on a hillside, not to get away from anyone, but so he could sit down taking the posture of a teacher at that time, and begin to teach them. It says he opened his mouth and he began to speak. And he spoke with authority. We see later in chapter 7 that they were amazed by this teaching because Jesus spoke like no one they had ever heard before. Jesus spoke with authority. This is a man whose voice carried to the crowd, commanded that the listener pay attention. And then he began to speak to his disciples. In the setting of all of this, Jesus is saying, I'm talking to Christians, right? I'm talking to people who are my disciples who follow me, and this is what your life looks like. This is the calling. This is the blessing. This is the responsibility. These are the ways that we're to act in the world to share the truth of Jesus. And I say all that to say that when we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading helpful words in an old book. Today, we get a chance to sit on a hillside on the north side of the Sea of Galilee and listen to the greatest teacher that ever lived. Does that sound worth doing? Absolutely. Then Jesus teaches something called the Beatitudes. And as Jesus often did, he, he flips the traditional thinking on its head. You know, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who are hungry for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and those who are persecuted because of Jesus. He says, listen, life's not always going to be easy, but guess what? Even in the really hard times, we're going to live this way, and we're going to rejoice because there's something so much greater on the other side. And then Jesus moves into verses 13 through 16, salt and light. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 5, and we're going to read this together. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill 
cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, before Jesus sends us out into the world, he tells us who we are in the world and we're reflectors of Jesus. That's really what he's saying here. And this is for every single one of us. You have been given a great identity, a great responsibility, and a great calling. And let's look at a little bit more what he means by that. So first, Jesus talks about salt. We all like salt, right? Everybody here can get on board with salt. I don't know what you think of first. I think maybe like a McDonald's french fries. Delicious. They're like the sixth most addictive food on the planet. What does that tell you about salt? It makes everything better. Even things that you wouldn't think make sense with salt, like caramel, chocolate. Find something salt doesn't make better. And really simply, like, we should be making the world a better place, guys. Our, our schools should be better because we're there volunteering. Our workplace should be better because Christians are there and we're honest and we make peace and we don't try to push other people down to climb to the top. We should be making the world a better place. But it means more than that, right? In ancient times, salt was so much more important than just a spice. Salt was how they preserved food. And it was actually quite a bit harder to get salt back then. Like, we all have it on our tables today. It's a very normal thing. But the processes we have now to get pure salt didn't exist. So when Jesus is saying that you are the salt of the earth, he's saying you are valuable. You are important. You are necessary. He's placed us in this necessary, preserving place in society. So you don't have to say anything out loud, but like if you're someone who thinks the world is generally moving in the wrong direction, like oh, over the last hundred years, has the world gotten better or worse? You don't have to say anything. But if that's true, and you're someone who thinks the world is getting worse, and if what Jesus said is true, and you are the salt of the earth, should not we be slowing that down? Should not we be stopping that? Should we not be moving the world in the right direction by this preserving influence that we have? Something to think about. And then Jesus turns and he talks about light. Again, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're to be like salt, flavorful, valuable, preserving. And then Jesus says we're to be like light. And this one is especially cool because Jesus never uses the salt analogy with himself. It's a good one. It all makes sense. But Jesus actually did use the light analogy on himself quite a few times in the Bible. A good example of this is John 12. 46. He said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So we're called to something that's a really big deal, because Jesus says, I came as light to the world, and now guess what? I'm sending you out as light to the world, as reflectors of Jesus. We're called to move into the world and live in such a distinctly different way that people can't help but catch a glimpse of Jesus. And who wants to do that? We all want to do this, right? Yes? We all say we want to share the light of Jesus with the world. 
exactly. But I think we still get into trouble sometimes. And it's not something that we're trying to do on purpose. But let's look at a couple hard truths for a second here. You know, you can't hide the light of Jesus behind a church sign. The church is a beautiful thing. It glorifies God and it does his work in the world and spreads the gospel. But that is not all Jesus is talking about here. Jesus sends us out as light as he was light to people, right? Those relationships in our life, our friends, our, our work people. And I love the light analogy too because it's timeless. We don't use oil lamps anymore, but light has been just as valuable as it was then throughout all of time, right? Because throughout all of time, light provides two very important purposes. It's clarity and direction. Light shows us where to go, what the landscape ahead is, what to go toward, and what to avoid. We've all made the mistake of trying to walk through our house at night without the lights on and what happens, right? As well as you think you know your house, you're going to find something you forgot about. And we're called to do exactly that, right? Think about you turn on even just your cell phone screen or a small nightlight, and suddenly the entire landscape transforms. You see clearly where to go and what to avoid. And Jesus says, you are that for the world. You are reflectors of my light. You can take these dark situations and shine light on them. And in a world full of people who are trying to walk in darkness and destined to run into an end table on the way to the fridge, we're there to help provide clarity and direction. Ephesians 5 puts this really well. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And this is the way that we live because we've been made right with God. Because we have something greater. And this means that we live differently than other people do. It's like those things we talked about earlier, right? We've got a peace and a contentment and a mercy and a joy that really stands out. Matthew 6 is a great example of this. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As a Christian, you are so blessed. And when we receive that blessing and when we let God work uninhibited in our lives, let that transforming power of God work uninhibited in our lives, we have a joy and a freedom and a peace that just stand out because it's so uncommon. So we know we're called to be the light of the world. We want to we go out and do that. We want to be the light of the world to people. But there's one very important aspect of this that we can't miss if we want to do that. We have to be around people, 
right? Bill Hybels has a great little math equation we can use to help remember this, and it's high potency plus close proximity equals maximum impact. So high potency, that's the bright light, the salty salt that we talked about, being who we are all the time and living in peace and happiness. But we can't forget the close proximity part, right? Actually being around things that are bland or places that are dark and people who don't know Jesus. You could say it this way. You could take salt and sprinkle it on the porch. That's not going to help your steak very much, right? You could turn on a light in the basement, walk upstairs. It's not going to make a bit of difference. Jesus calls us to be that beacon of light to the world, right? To go out and live distinctly in places that actually need it. Verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Because when we're salty and bright and we put ourselves in situations where we can be that to others who are in darkness, things are going to change. Growing up, we had a lot of exchange students in our church. We had a bunch of Brazilians, this French guy, a bunch of Germans. And one time there was a girl from Turkey. Her name was Judy. Um, and Judy got the opportunity to come and stay in the U.S. for six months. And for six months, she sort of just sat back, you know, just sort of observed what was going on, didn't engage too heavily in anything. It, it wasn't until the night that Judy was about to fly back to Turkey. Now understand, living in Turkey, she had a very devout Muslim family. Judy was a Muslim. And the night before she came back, she called up my dad, said, hey, we need to talk. She came over to our house and said, okay, I know what I've been told about Christians. I know what I'm supposed to believe about Christians, but man, I've been watching how you guys live, and there is just something different about you. You know, Judy's back in Turkey all these years later, still in a Muslim community with a Muslim family, and Judy is still an unashamed follower of Jesus. Amen? Guys, how we live matters. You are so much more important that you know, than you know. People are watching People are always watching for that light of Jesus. Colossians 4, 6 tells us, Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. But here's the thing. To be able to answer everyone, people have to be asking questions. It's a good little moment to sit back and think about that. Are, are people asking questions? When was the last time my life looked so different, so bright, so joyous that someone just had to know what was going on. Each one of us is called to move into the world and help people catch a glimpse of God. I have a friend from Indiana. I met him a little over 10 years ago. I remember I was living in Cedar Lake, Indiana. One day I go and I look out my front porch window and I see off to the right there's this gigantic guy wearing overalls with no shirt on, drinking a fifth of Southern Comfort in the driveway. I thought, this is going to be interesting. So it turns out it wasn't him. It was his friend, also a super cool guy that I got to know really well. And over the next few years, we really hit it off, you know. We had a lot of the same things in common. 
country music. We'd always rather build something than buy it. We even bought our Harleys at the same time. As you do when you're younger, you move around a lot. But even as Jolene and I moved to West Virginia and had, what, seven or eight different houses in Indiana, we maintained that close friendship. But for all the things we had in common, there was always one thing that we didn't have in common, and that was our faith. We got the chance to have a lot of good conversations, and he knew my life was different, right? I remember one day, this was probably about five years ago, it's really late at night, my friend called me up on the phone. Uh, you have to understand, he was going through a, a really, really brutal divorce, like as bad as you can possibly imagine, it was a little bit worse than that. And he called me up and he said, hey man, could you pray with me? And I said, yes! And, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. And we didn't have some big transformation that night, but he was having a hard time and he knew someone who knew what to do right? He knew someone who knew who to ask for help. One of the hardest parts about moving here was leaving this particular friend, um, partially because some of this was unresolved, right? And the nature of your friendship changes when you move, if you're someone who's moved around. We've, we've moved around a lot. And you go from talking every day to kind of just catching up with people in these little snapshots of their life. And I remember a few months after we moved here, I get this call. Hey, man, I found a church. <laughs> the preacher's got some pretty good things to say. He's, he's not right about everything, but it's not too bad, and the girls really like it. And then a few months after that, I got one of my favorite calls I've ever gotten in my entire life. He said, you're not going to believe this, man, but I accepted Jesus, and I'm getting baptized. Woo! <laughs> it's amazing. And then it turned into, he's like, man, thank you so much. Thank you for the way that you lived for all those years where you put up with my stupidity. I am so sorry I didn't take your hand in faith sooner and walk with you. And we both wish it would have happened faster, but sometimes this is exactly how it works. But that's not the end of the story. Because my buddy has two girls, the youngest of which now won't let anyone eat anywhere unless she gets to pray for it first. These two girls love Jesus. And that's not the end of the story. I got a call a couple months ago, and he said, man, you're not going to believe this. But he starts listing off the names of all these friends of his, friends of ours that we had. He said, they're going to church. Most Sundays, they're pulling into church with about 10 people who didn't know Jesus before. That's salt and light. That's exactly how this works, guys. It's amazing. And you look down the road, even though things don't seem easy right now, or it seems like an uncomfortable conversation, or you kind of want to just live a little bit differently when you're around certain people, man, you have no idea the transforming power of the gospel when you live the way that Jesus tells us to live, right? When we live in that calling and that responsibility, when we live in joy and peace, and we care about people more than ourselves. Let's think about how you came to know Jesus. It was because of a person. You know, it could have been a camp counselor, a family member, even if it was a parent. If the way they lived didn't line up with the things they said, 
it never would have stuck, right? And now, however many years down the road it is from when you accepted Jesus, something has changed. Because now you're that Christian that somebody knows. And that's a really big deal. Because you are the Christian that can make a difference in your circles, right? You're the Christian that will make peace when nobody else does. You're the Christian that loves and helps people even when it's inconvenient. And you're the Christian that can cause a revival in your circles that won't stop because you live and love and care about people like Jesus does. Guys, we can make a difference. Each one of you can make a difference. Jesus has equipped you and called you to do something so unbelievably important. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that we get to be a part of your mission and a part of your kingdom. We're so thankful for what you've done for us, but never let us forget that we want this thing to keep going. Lord, equip us with confidence. Give us the words to say. Give us patience when it doesn't make sense and mercy when it doesn't make sense and happiness even when things seem hard. And help us to shine your light so brightly into the world that it can't help but be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff, for sharing that.